0: Hello, it's Caroline. I'm just here to tell you that this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded during a time when I still used Patreon. I do not use Patreon anymore, but you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuckadiet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Fuck a Diet podcast. My name is Caroline Dooner. I am your host, and I'm recording this podcast on Easter Sunday because I'm not doing anything today. I'm not seeing my family. We're in quarantine. I'm having a Zoom call with my family later tonight. First family Zoom call, um, not only just with my parents and siblings, but also with my aunts and uncles and cousins. So we'll see how that goes. That should actually be kind of funny. Um, But not only is it Easter Sunday, but it is Molly's second birthday. And she doesn't get a party and she can't play. (laughs) She can't play with her friends. Um, I went to the pet store. I braved, I braved the pet store to get her treats and let her play with the pet store cat. Um, but today on this episode, I'm going to share with you my conversation with Kirsten Ackerman, who is a registered dietitian who focuses on intuitive eating and health at every size and who works with clients in that capacity right now, but also has a lot of experience with people who have had bariatric surgery and weight loss surgery, that was one of her first jobs as a dietitian. So I wanted to talk to her about not only about intuitive eating and health at every size and how quarantine is going, which is how we start off the conversation, but also about weight loss surgery and bariatric surgery because she has seen firsthand how it can actually be really risky, and all really looking at what happens to our bodies and our minds after bariatric surgery from the perspective of intuitive eating and health at every size. So we talk about weight loss surgery. I ask a lot of questions that people ask me, and obviously I'm not an expert on bariatric surgery, but Kirsten does have a lot more experience. So I'm excited for you to listen. I hope it's super informative and I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to share the conversation with you. It's about a half an hour long and then after it I'll come back and I will read some listener emails and I'll share with you some of my uh, quarantine coping mechanisms. So until then, enjoy this conversation with Kirsten Ackerman.
1: I am a registered dietitian. Um, I work like my day job is at a dialysis clinic currently, and I do that like four days a week. So I'm helping people um, with their diet, like people who have end stage renal disease and they're mm-hmm. on dialysis. Uh, so that's my day job. And then I also have my you know, virtual private practice where I'm helping people to heal their relationship to food in their body through intuitive eating and health at every size approach.
0: What are you noticing with your clients during this quarantine? like? Is there any, is there like a, is there something that you are noticing lots of people are going through or struggling with right now?
1: I feel like there's a few main points. Like, I think that I've definitely seen, I've had a conversation or two with some clients that were feeling like, you know, body image thoughts were actually kind of lower right now because they just were focused on other things. And, uh, but I also think there's a very good chunk of people and clients who um, are really struggling with body image right now. You know, something about like being cooped up and not having a lot going on brings this stuff bubbling to the surface.
0: Yeah. Um, There's, it's like, there's not enough to focus on. So it's like, what's the thing that I usually go to control when I'm feeling out of control? It's food and body stuff.
1: Exactly. I always explain it as like a, I don't even, know how to say it exactly, but like, it's like a comfort- comfortable discomfort, right? right? Like as painful as it is, it feels safer to like be sad about that and be really fit. Like, um, yeah, just like consumed in this like awful way with something that we're familiar with.
0: Yeah. And it's such a weird time that I'm even struggling with, like, I, I am struggling with how to communicate or even just like posts to share because I, mm-hmm. I feel like we're not in the norm, we're not in our normal headspace, we're not in our normal routine. So I really do, I feel like the people who already are on the journey. I feel like I need to speak to them and support them but the people who haven't started I feel like I have a lot of people who follow me who are like what's this this is interesting I don't know if I want to do this but I'm going to follow along yeah um I feel like it it is a lot and probably too much to ask people to begin to heal their relationship with food right now like yes I, I agree think, I think that and I think the one thing that is happening is that people who have a chaotic relationship with food or who do a lot of yo-yo dieting or who really tightly control their food and then binge sometimes um, now that they're stuck at home with a full kitchen, like, you know, we're, we're doing stockpiling right now and no other in routine that people are feeling really out of control with food and not necessarily knowing that it's, it's a direct result of a a life of dieting. Yes. But then to say, okay, well on top of everything else, (laughs) why don't you just let go and like go through this process and go, because healing your relationship to food is scary enough as it is. It's such a surrender situation. There's so much, um, there's so, there's so much fear and resistance that comes up. So to ask someone to open up that can of worms right now, I just feel like is a, is a little bit too much.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point. And like, I feel like that's like one of the only things that I, came to my mind originally with all this stuff was like I I want people to like be aware like of what you just said that like if you're feeling like super out of control around food or even just like I've had clients express to me that like they just feel this anxiety that their kitchen is full and like that's stressful just having that food around and available. So like um I want people to know that like that is not because they are crazy about food or can't trust themselves around food or whatever. But like, like you said, it's a direct result of living in this culture, engaging restrictive behaviors, whatever, a lifetime of dieting, like you said, like, but, but I agree, like, expecting people to like, jumpstart this right now, just like, doesn't make sense. Like, I felt very, like, honestly, uninspired to post right now, because like, I'm just Sense. I'm navigating this myself. And I'm yeah. just like, you know what? I'm not being called to to do this right now. And like, maybe that makes sense for, for people, other people too.
0: Yes. I feel the exact same way. I'm sort of like, okay, how, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and what does this mean? Yeah. I'm trying to process it personally Yes, in, on so many levels. I mean, I feel really lucky that I, I, none of my stress is about food right now. None of it. Yeah. I mean, actually I am a little bit stressed of like, oh, I have like dual like going to the grocery store is stressful but yes. other than that that is a piece that i feel really lucky to be able to say i'm not stressing about however <laughs> i'm stressing about a million other things i'm trying to process it myself so in being in a position where i you know you and i both post and want to teach and want to mm-hmm. calm people down and i just don't even know where to start honestly
1: yeah you know? I completely feel the same and I think the other thing too is like people are experiencing so many so many different things and yes. I'm not and again like like you said like we're still processing personally so it's it's hard to figure out the direction and and also like you mentioned like this is not the norm it's not like what people are used to experiencing or with food and body or anything so yeah it's just a whole different whole different game out there
0: It really is and it's hard to begin to e- explain and unpack what we were talking about before which is okay like if someone doesn't understand that dieting and restricting and even just a life of feeling guilty around food can cause food fixation which feels like a food addiction and can lead to binging and all these Mm -hmm. things if they don't understand that dynamic then even beginning to unpack it and explain what's going on especially the dissonance with like people panicking over not having enough food, but also not wanting to eat too much food. And then also wanting to ration food, but all like, it is very complicated and there are a lot of layers going on. Yeah, for sure.
1: The one thing I will say that's driving me crazy. And I'm just, I think I'm actually doing a pretty good job of not being on social media too much, but um, that the quarantine 15, like everyone's mm. freaking out about how much weight they're going to gain in this, you know, and I get it, but it's just, it's, um, yeah, that's a lot.
0: I, I, the way I feel is like, I'm not surprised. Like there's nothing about right. it that surprises me Right. just because of what we know about how obsessed our culture is with weight, but mm-hmm. it is really interesting. It's like a very interesting, um, cultural study to be like, Oh, look, there are so, there are like really horrible things happening. And the yeah. thing that most people are worried about, honestly, is gaining weight in quarantine. And what yeah. does that say about us and about our culture and about what we fear the most?
1: Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it for sure.
0: <laughs> and how did you get into doing the work that you do with intuitive eating and health at every size?
1: So um, my first job as a registered dietitian was in a bariatric surgery, weight loss surgery clinic. I was there for like two and a half years. Um, So at the time, like getting the job, I really was just looking for like, outpatient work. I really wanted to work like one-on-one with clients. And that's just kind of what came up. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, And then somewhere along the line, it must've been like a year or maybe a year and a half in, I stumbled upon food psych podcast with Christy Mm -hmm. Harrison. And that was kind of like like my like, oh my God moment um, that just sent me into like a deep dive into like the intuitive eating book and research and just all the different things. Um, So that was like kind of my introduction into it. And it really was a crazy time to be introduced to it when I was in like the depths of diet culture in my work at the bariatric surgery clinic.
0: I bet. And how, how was, I mean, what was that like? Were you, were you able to sort of see these things firsthand or I'm really interested to talk about bariatric surgery today and you know, the different kinds of weight loss surgeries and also yeah. what you have seen and learned firsthand.
1: I mean, at the time, I think like, I was just like perfectly primed for the, to hear the message of health at every size um, and intuitive eating, because I was engaging in my own disordered eating behaviors mm-hmm. that I thought were healthy and great and awesome. Like, right. so like I thought I was doing everything great. And then I'm working with, the population of people in larger bodies who've experienced all the weight stigma and are literally in the most like weight stigmatizing situation, getting, you know, a part of their stomach or all of their stomach amputated. So like, I was just like in this position where I was like, Oh my God, like both personally and professionally, like this is, this makes perfect sense with what I've what I've seen and what I'm hearing from these people sitting across from me.
0: Uh, Is bariatric, does bariatric surgery refer to all the different kinds of weight loss surgery or just one, one of them?
1: It does refer to all of them. So that's kind of like the general term. Mm -hmm. So the one, so the one that like was done for a bit of time, but like by the time I got to my clinic, they like, stopped putting them in um is the band the gastric mm-hmm. band mm-hmm. so the so that was like a very popular one for a bit of time and then they figured out that it wasn't i don't know it was causing a lot of issues essentially yeah. um the gastric band is literally like a band like you could think of it like a rubber band or whatever that they put at the top of the stomach so essentially it's tricking your your body your mind to think that you're full sooner
0: mm. Right.
1: So it's not like removing any part of the stomach, it's it's placing something in. Um obviously what tends to happen with many of these people is um that they get like really bad reflux, you know, that it causes problems or they like, can't eat at all. Right. Um Or just in time, I think this is kind of a common thread with all of the procedures. In time, the body adjusts to figure out how to get more food in. And how the bariatric surgery industry sees that is like, oh, that's a problem. We need to, like, you know, keep tricking the body, quote unquote. Um, The way I see it is it's just your, your body adapting to try to save you and, like, get the nutrition it needs,
0: you know? Right, right. And I feel like that perspective is so important because for the people who have had it, Mm-hmm. to believe that I, I feel like so many people um, when their body starts fighting back, they're like, oh my God, I really am such a lost cause. Like what is wrong with me? Why can't I even make this work? And so true. doing like educating people that no, no, your body has your back. There's nothing wrong with you. You are supposed to be hungry. I feel like that's just so important.
1: Yeah, I totally hear that and like I can definitely like confirm that with like my so many conversations I've had with these patients. They always, you know, blame themselves and that makes sense because the surgeons are there before the surgery saying, "This is what your experience is going to be. Like you're not going to be hungry, your hunger cues are going to be gone and you're just going to like lose a ton of weight and this is the percentage you should be losing at this mark, this mark, and this mark." And they're so like confident like this is what's going to happen and it, it doesn't happen for the vast majority of people, not to mention even the people that follow that curve in the beginning with the weight loss or the, you know, not having hunger cues, in the long term, we're seeing those people regain and and have their cues, you know, come back, actually not after that long a period of time. But that's not what people talk about. That's not what the surgeons talk about. So of
0: course people blame themselves, you know? Right. So I have a lot of people who ask me, what to do, how to approach intuitive eating or the fuck it diet if they have had weight loss surgery.
1: So I think that like, there's no reason why, like like it's, it totally can be applied. Um, It's just like a little bit, obviously it's like more nuanced. So like some things that are different, um, hunger and fullness cues are like, people experience them differently after weight loss surgery often not necessarily always but um, they're usually unique so sometimes fullness can come on really suddenly right like a really small bite and all of a sudden you feel intense intense fullness um hunger you might not get hunger especially earlier on after surgery and therefore like you can just take it and view it through the lens of you know i'm gonna eat for self-care and not and honestly this can be applied to, you know, intuitive eating for anyone, right? Right. Well, like if you're not experiencing hunger, it doesn't mean don't eat. Right. (laughs) But I think that's even more so in this population.
0: Yeah. Um, And I mean, one of the things that people experience after they have weight loss surgery is malnutrition, right?
1: Totally. Absolutely. Like they, you know, there's a bunch of vitamins and stuff that, you know, are kind of like, um, I encourage for people to take. But even with that, many people have, you know, deficiencies in uh, B12, maybe vitamin D, you know, there's various things that are really hard to just for your body to absorb.
0: And so in a way, it's almost like, okay, well, we need to focus more on nourishment now. Like we need to figure out a way to like really get you the nourishment that you need and require.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which, again, it's it puts these people in a hard position because their body is now, you know, anatomically, like, trying. Like, it's very difficult to get in everything that they need, which is, you know, yeah. So So that's where, like, honestly, I think many people, especially earlier on, um do need to get like b12 injections and stuff mm-hmm. like that but but all of that can be seen from a, a perspective of like of self care and like just taking care of your body now as it is
0: right so is there so is there a reversible one and then an irreversible one
1: yes um so obviously like the gastric band that, that I mentioned is reversible and that can be taken out um the other two procedures that are yeah the other two main ones um are actually, both of them are not reversible. So uh, the gastric sleeve surgery is essentially, it makes a sleeve of your stomach. So your stomach is kind of shaped, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know, a fist, is that a proper way? It's kind of like- yeah, I, I honestly have never tried to describe the shape, but, <laughs> but they they take off like the bigger portion of it. It's like seventy percent of the stomach, oh and God. just leave it so it's like a tube. So you can think of it as almost like extending the intestine.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. Okay.
1: And that can't be reversed, of course, because they're literally taking that out. Um, the gastric bypass, they literally like take your, your intestine and like bring it up to the top of like where your stomach would attach. So it's, it's bypassing the stomach. Um, uh, mm-hmm. so that technically can be reversed, but like it, only in very rare circumstances would they reverse that.
0: Right. Uh, and I, I mean, I just feel like that would just lead to worse digestion.
1: Um, like you, the, the, the surgeries,
0: well, sure. all of them. Yeah. But especially yeah. the one that just like, goodbye stomach, we're just writing yes. this to the intestines.
1: Yes, exactly. Like just bypassing a perfectly healthy organ that totally, and that's, you know, that's part of the malnutrition that
0: <laughs> these, right. these
1: experience. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that is like the, one of the biggest myths of diet culture that, I mean, I remember in my more disordered phases, I'd be like, yes, I'm just pooping everything out. Like, look at all this lettuce in my poop. Like, (laughs) I'm just, I'm so clean as opposed to like, actually you're, (laughs) this is a very inefficient uh, situation you have ongoing here and you you aren't getting any nutrition. Exactly.
1: And I feel like that's a place where so many of these people would be coming from where they'd be like, like, of course they're not thinking of it from the perspective of like, oh, like how am I going to get the nutrition my body needs? So thinking about it, like, I can't wait to not be hungry or like I can't wait to just not think about food and not have to eat and just like go through the day without f- food. Like that's where
0: their minds, right. you know? Right. And then I think, another, I mean, another thing must be like, is there another myth where it's like, if I don't have a stomach or if I make my stomach smaller, I won't be, I won't be hungry. I won't get hungry where hunger is so much more complicated than just our stomach.
1: Very true, yeah yeah like certainly there's a good percentage of people who go through the surgery who like their physical sensation mm-hmm. of having hunger in that in that way right is dulled um, right. But that's a great point to bring up that there's so many different ways we experience like wanting to eat food
0: and I mean there's there's a hormonal like you know the hunger hormone itself mm-hmm. too I mean that's gonna make us feel hunger right? So
1: yeah, there's something weird. And honestly, I don't know the the details of it, but there is something weird about the bypass, the gastric bypass surgery that dulls that, that hormone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I believe that. Yeah. I, I, bet, I bet, I mean, it makes sense that there's probably some yeah I know what the word is like communication process that happens with the stomach that if that's not a part of the equation that like exactly yeah that makes sense but again
1: that's something that in time I mean I think it's just like kind of amazing and awesome but like in time your intestine starts to produce that and like your body essentially adapts and to give give you that hunger again and like um that's talked about as you know a hurdle.
0: is a bad thing where it's right. your body being like, okay, it's okay, we we can we can figure right. this out. Right,
1: <laughs> right. So it's actually like your body's just like amazing at like overcoming a lot of things, even this like crazy surgery.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what I'm curious what um did you have any clients who had weight loss surgery who wanted to reverse it or who had enough or who really didn't have the experience that they thought they were going to have?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, sadly, like one situation you know one scenario that happened for not the smallest percentage of people is that they would you know be getting sick off of everything there's something called um dumping syndrome which sounds as bad as it is with Mm -hmm. the bypass where if you have something that like contains sugar or like high fat um you know you experience really intense gi stuff and like there'd be people that like would just have this and like it wouldn't go away and like they just they couldn't enjoy any of the foods they used to like so um definitely those would be the people that would be like i wish that i hadn't done this or the people that like wouldn't lose the weight and there were totally like a good percentage of people who um their bodies were so good at like adjusting metabolism or whatever that like right. their weight loss slowed very quickly and then they were like why did i do this you know
0: right right and that brings us to our other myth that we can completely manipulate our bodies by eating less food which is just not always true no
1: No. I mean, I think the vast majority of the time, our body is really good at like having different mechanisms that like push us back to food or, you know, make us burn less or whatever it has to do to make sure that you're safe and you're not like losing weight. You're not going through, um, you know, starvation or whatever.
0: Uh, yeah. So the other question that I get often is what do I think of weight loss surgery or a lot of people who, you know, a lot of people who are searching for, for an answer to their issues with food have been considering are still considering are wondering, you know, what, what the deal is with weight loss surgery. And if it's something that they should do, what would you say to those people? Ooh,
1: that's a big question. Um, so like, definitely I have to start by saying with that, like, I totally believe in body autonomy. I'm never gonna be sitting in a position where I'm gonna say, like, you know, you particular, you individual person, like, shouldn't do this um, because I think people need to make that decision for themselves. Also, on top of that, I've never been in a body that I've never been in a larger body, Mm -hmm. one where I'm going to the doctor and every time I'm talking to the doctor, they're telling me, "Hey, your weight's a problem. Your body's a problem. Like, you should go have this surgery." Right? So. That's like just like a first point. Um, But the second part to this is that I think that um, I don't think that, you know, weight loss surgery is supportive of health, of well-being, mental or physical. And I don't think it delivers on what it promises that it will. And that often leads people into more suffering, uh, which is what they're trying to escape.
0: I just think that it's an informed consent thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we, if people entering into it really knew what the risks were and really understood what we hope everyone could understand about food and nutrition and health and weight, yes. that there would be way less people who would do it because when you really know what's going on and, and the problems that could come from it, you probably you probably wouldn't choose it. I mean, some people yeah. still might. Some people really might feel desperate enough or think that it's worth it, but mm-hmm. I think that if more people knew what the risks were, yeah. And
1: I mean, even on the other side of that, if if more people knew that they could find much of what they're looking for in that surgery, through you know a different process, like yes, you know, like healing your relationship to food. Yes,
0: even when I heard you say a couple minutes ago, you said you know people just they just want to to go through their lives and not be overwhelmed by mm-hmm. cravings for food. And I was like, well, that's that actually is one of the the goals of intuitive eating. Yes, is to get to a place where, of course, we get hungry, we feed ourselves. That's that's a huge piece of the puzzle. But one of the the amazing things that happens then is we are not ruled by our cravings, really, in the way that we are when we're dieting.
1: Exactly. Yeah, totally. So I I think that, yeah, I feel like that's a powerful message to get to people is that like, because I feel like, like the way that I view weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery is just like the end of this like line of like, just awful, like diet culture, weight stigma, like dieting in this crazy diet cycle and whatever. And it's like still trying to be more and more restrictive, which never results in the, you know, the result that people are looking for.
0: Right. It is like the most extreme version of being told that you're supposed to be on a diet your whole life. It's like, well, you've failed. So now we're going to remove your stomach.
1: Exactly. Yep. Oh, it's dark stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Will you let everyone know where they can find you?
1: Yes. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at the underscore RD, like registered dietitian, um, or on my website, theintuitive_rd.com, And you can also go listen to my podcast intuitive
0: bites. So I have all of the links to go find and follow Kirsten in the show notes of this episode. So I definitely recommend you go find her and follow her. I really love the way she communicates intuitive eating and health at every size, and she's also in the in the process of writing a book right now. So I don't think it's ready to be pre-ordered, but follow along so when it is, you know about it because I really I really think. Um, I really like following her, so I I trust that the book that she's going to write is going to be wonderful and helpful. All right. So let me read. I have two listener emails I'm going to read for you today, and then I'm going to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and my new obsession with Sebastian Stan. Okay. But first, let me read you some emails. So this is from Jessica. Jessica. She said, I was really resistant to try the fuck-a-diet at first, even though it sounded like exactly what I needed. I've been on it now for about four months, and for the first few months, I just wasn't sure that it was working for me, and I felt like I was somehow overthinking it. Not sure that's even possible. Oh, it's definitely possible to overthink it. In the last week, despite the times we're living in, I had this moment of euphoria that after a really long, shitty, and stressful day at work, I'm a veterinarian, I came home and my husband offered me some homemade cookies and I said, no. <laughs> she, sorry, she put an exclamation point in there. So I, <laughs> I went with it. I said, no. I said, no, not because I thought they were bad or that I shouldn't have them. I really just didn't feel like eating a cookie right then. And I didn't think about it for a second after I said no. And that moment clicked for me. And I thought back to the last few days and weeks about some food choices I made and realized that how well the fuck diet works just kind of snuck up on me. For the first time in forever, I feel like that's a Frozen song. For the first time. <laughs> okay. Um, I love that song, actually. For the first time in forever, I felt so comfortable around food, not guilty, not obsessed, just content that if I want it, I can have it. And if I don't want it, it will be there later if I do. Sometimes I realize I haven't eaten in several hours and some days I'm hungry every 10 minutes and I go with it and I don't feel at all stressed by that idea. I have gained some weight and gone up in pant size and the funny thing is, I'm so much more comfortable and happy in clothes that fit and I don't even care about what size they are. My relationship with my husband has improved as a result of this because I'm learning to stop a lot. Oh, uh, sorry. I'm learning to stop a lot of the self critical banter about my weight and appearance that I used to add into our conversations. I know this is a very long winded message. No, actually, it's pretty good, pretty succinct. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you again. And I recommended your book to many people. Cheers. And I hope you're surviving during these trying times, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. It was not a long-winded message, it was very good. Actually, it's possible that the email she wrote was really long and I just um, took the bottom. No, no, I'm looking, wait, actually, I can find out now that we're in this. No, it really, really wasn't. It was just, so Jessica, if you're listening, your message was not long-winded, it was perfect. Um, Thank you for sharing. Again, if you are listening and you have been on the Fuck A Diet for a chunk of time, and have had a positive experience and think that sharing your story would be helpful to the people who are just starting out to inspire them, to calm them down, you can send me your story at podcast at carolineduner.com. All right, I'm going to read one more. And I'm not going to sing in the middle of it. So this one says, I wanted to send in my personal story with the fuck a diet and some encouragement for people who are just starting. I first found your work in 2015 when I was quote unquote recovered from an eating disorder, but still struggling with disordered eating and disordered thoughts. I spent the next few years trying to do the fuck a diet, but going back to dieting and restricting every few months and not truly giving myself permission to eat as much as I wanted in fall of 2018. I finally was able to truly embrace the fuck a diet and start eating as much as I wanted, and I haven't had any returns to dieting since then. Since 2018, I have felt so many shifts in my life. Many of them are related to eating. I keep a full pantry of snacks at home, and I have a snack drawer in my desk at work. I happily eat large, satisfying meals now, and I get to feel pleasantly full. And I get to feel pleasantly full. There's an exclamation point. In between meals, I almost never think of food. I have so much energy during the day and my sleep is amazing. I think there are even larger shifts I have felt as a result of the fuck a diet. Feeling consistently fed all the time has caused me to feel a deep sense of calm and restfulness. Is that a word? I think it is. She asked if that was a word. I'm not berating her use of words. She said, taking care of myself no matter no matter my weight or what my body looks like has caused me to feel almost this tenderness or compassion towards myself and others. And I am much more consistently in my body feeling my feelings. My life just feels more real to me and I'm actually participating it, in it. I'm actually participating in it. Okay, as I read this, I, <laughs> I've gotten so used to getting emails like this And messages like this that like it's a weird thing that we sort of get desensitized to to good things I think sometimes and I'm just so used to hearing this that I'm like yeah yeah like that's what the fuck a diet does that's why I'm still writing about it but sometimes it hits me and the things that people say resonate with me and my own experience and I, I just like I'm just so overwhelmed with with wonder really at at how healing this can be and how it has a life of its own and I just I just can't even believe it and I just feel so lucky to be able to be one of the people even just to like read an email like this to you it just feels really special it feels really special in a way that I usually don't like pay attention to because I'm so used to it I'm so used to getting messages like this and emails like this um, but it is really special and really beautiful I was getting choked up when I was reading just this last paragraph that she wrote, so I felt like I just had to call that out. So she said, my life just feels more real to me, like I'm actually participating in it. If And she says, if I could give some advice to people just starting out, I guess the first thing I would say is that it's okay if it takes time or if you go back to dieting a few times. It took me five years and for me to pipe in here, Caroline, it took me six years of thinking that I was eating intuitively to even realize that I hadn't been at all. So it it can take time. And I do hope that some of the message of of my book kind of like preps people for that and makes people realize when they're not fully eating intuitively. But um, yeah, it is a journey. Okay, back to her email. She said, I would also say, if you're someone who exercises a lot, consider not exercising for a period. Honestly, I would not have taken this advice as I was someone who exercised a ton. I had an injury in 2019 that forced me to not exercise for around four months. And it was so healing to continue to feed myself normally during this time and realized that my body still needed food and would still work fine without exercising. I don't think the fuck it diet would have been as transformative for me if I hadn't stopped exercising for a while. And the last thing I would say is work on your relationship to your weight. This was the hardest part for me. It was easy for me to start allowing myself to eat, but I had a hard time feeling good about it because I was so terrified of what it would do, of what it was doing to my weight. The brain dump belief release and breathe and feel were helpful for this. I also tried a little bit of EFT tapping that I saw on YouTube and this really worked for me. It took me a long time to start feeling even a little bit neutral about my weight. And I still have a lot of work to do in this area. Hopefully this is helpful. Thank you again so much for all the work you're doing. It's made a huge difference in my life. Janelle. Janelle, thank you so much for that email. Honestly, it's just so, well, this is the kind of email that I want to share with people because I think it is genuinely helpful. And I've said this many times, but I can say all of these things a million times, but if I'm the only one you're hearing saying it, or if I'm one of the only people you're hearing saying it, you're going to think, and I would have done this too. Well, maybe it just worked for you, but it's not going to work for me. So I think the more people that you can hear what their experience was, how their experiences were different, and how their experiences were the same. I think it's really, really helpful. Really helpful. I also want to talk a little bit about her talking about EFT, tapping. If you don't know what that is, it's called Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's a tapping technique that is actually evidence-based for trauma. So it, it really does help. And I used to do it all the time. I really think that it actually did help my relationship to weight. And it was one of the first things that I did that was in the realm of quote unquote energy work and emotions work that became what I wrote about in the fuck a diet book. I purposely simplified it for the book because EFT, first of all, I'm not trained in EFT. I don't really know what the rules around like sharing EFT in a book, Um. But I, it's also really weird. Like EFT is very bizarre, and it just feels really odd. It's just like top tapping. You can easily find it's all over the internet. You can easily find tutorials on it for free just by googling. Um, but there are all these different like acupressure tapping points that you that you do over and over again while you're saying this this formula phrase and the form it goes something like even though I blank whatever the stressful thing is even though I feel uncomfortable in my body even though I hate my body even though I'm embarrassed whatever whatever the thing is you're kind of trying to tap into just like I talk about in the book you're trying to tap into the pain in order to access it feel it and process it so even though I feel blank or even though blank I choose to love and accept myself. And so you're different from like a a mantra where you're like, I am love and light, where a lot of people are like, but I don't know that I really am. And so I feel like mantras that you don't believe can cause extra stress and actually do the opposite of what you're trying to do. Um, leaning into limiting beliefs or negative experiences, but doing the reframe of, but I still choose to love and accept myself while also trying to literally access the emotion by doing this kind of grounding tapping technique that's specific um and has specific points and I kind of see it as like you're getting stuff moving and I have like sobbed doing it over things that I didn't even think I felt that strongly over so it definitely it does something and I think that It's just one tool you can add to the toolbox. Um, But in the beginning of the Fuck It Diet, when I was working through my own stuff and I stumbled across EFT, um, I started doing it on myself and I started telling my readers and my clients and the people in my workshops to do it. And I would say, just look it up. Like I would talk about limiting beliefs and I would say, find your limiting beliefs and then you can use this technique on it and it's free and you can teach yourself. And half the people would go and do it and be like, I don't know if that did anything and then a couple weeks later or even a couple months later they'd be like i think it actually did but it was this like subtle thing and then other people would be like i it's just too weird i can't do it so i purposely tried to find something that was a little bit more basic um and i also wanted to in the book if you've read the book i teach like i explain uh, the way that i think about emotions and unprocessed emotions and how that ties in with our beliefs and how how that ties in with emotion work and how that ties in with energy work, quote unquote. And this is one technique. And in the book, I talk about another technique and the brain dump and breathe and feel and all of this stuff. So. It's all just tools, right? It's all just finding out what works for you and figuring out how to take care of yourself. But um, this is definitely a tool, so I do recommend it, and I think it was really helpful. Actually, it's very strange. I am writing my second book, and I'm trying to I'm trying to write about my roller coaster relationship with self help and how it became very dogmatic and very culty at some points. Um, including diets, including extreme diets, but also other self-help techniques. And I was writing about me finding EFT and how weird it felt and how, and it, EFT stands for emotional freedom technique and it's the tapping that we were just talking about. Um, and it, it kind of felt like it was just going to be another weird, weird thing, um, but that it actually helped and the reason that I thought it helped. And I was writing about it And then I got this email from Janelle. Like she then, like I literally saw the notification um, that she wrote in for the podcast and I skimmed it. And I was like, what the hell? She's talking about EFT in there. That was interesting and strange. So definitely check it out with the caveat that it can feel super weird to do, but I do think that there's something to it. Um, Great, great, okay. So I've been on Instagram Uh, And just like I was talking about with Kirsten, like, I really, really am having a hard time just being inspired, even to, well, definitely to write my book, though I'm trying every day, but to know what to post on my Instagram, like, it feels so weird to just, to just carry on as if this quarantine isn't happening. And in the beginning, I tried to address some of the, excuse me, some of the things I was noticing um, with people and the, the scarcity mentality, and this feel, you know, the thing that I kind of locked into, especially because I'm trying to write a book about rest and what I think rest is and what is not rest, um, and sort of this this existential rest and existential overwhelm, I've been trying to sort of explain with very limited words, because everything I post on Instagram is like just a little blip but that this is not rest, and that this is a traumatic experience, and that we're all sort of just in the early stages of processing what this means right now, and what it's going to mean long term, and how long this is going to go on, and what's going to be affected by it, and I don't know. Like, I don't know how to process it myself, so that's that's been a thing that's going on for me, and I'm assuming for you too, but me in a position of like, I sort of take on the role of teacher sometimes teaching what I know and what I've learned and what I have experienced about um, stepping away from dieting and also rest. And so I'm just like in the middle of figuring out what this means for everything, really. Um, But what I am doing on Instagram is I am... I I think I, I was actually... I was sharing a story about how I felt very uninspired and um, I think I posted a picture of like DW from the cartoon Arthur and then oh I remember what it was. I actually posted a picture of um, Tiger King but with um, Taylor Swift's cats like from the movie Cats with her face like put on top of the tiger and I was like this is how I'm doing. And like this is this is like all I'm capable of creating right now. And then somebody told me that there was a Tiger King uh, filter on Instagram for Instagram stories. So I started looking for it. But what I found instead was this filter that turns your head upside down and just has your mouth and your chin. And the, your chin is like the top of your head and there are little googly eyes on it. And so it's just this tiny little like potato looking thing with an upside down mouth and it makes your voice really tiny. And I was like, oh my God, I feel inspired. (laughs) I was like, I think I could, I think I can, uh, can do a Q and A if I get to do it with this little tiny potato head, this little tiny potato chin head. And soon, it be- I just started calling him her, I, I don't know, this creature, uh, Tiny Head. And I was doing some Q&As with it. I was answering some questions. And it was just, like, absurd enough and bizarre enough that it felt fun to me. And it was, like, the first thing that felt fun and <laughs> inspiring and, like, just made me, it just made me want to post. And it made me want to, I don't know. It just felt fun. Um. And then somehow I started taking song requests and this little tiny head with a little tiny weird chipmunk voice started doing little 15 minute, not 15 minute, 15 second renditions of requested songs. And there were definitely people. So I did a little poll a couple days later because I kept doing it, kept doing tiny head. Um, because I was getting so many messages saying, oh, my God, this is my favorite thing. Oh, my God, this is just the kind of weird, bizarre thing that I need to distract myself or, like, this has made me laugh for the first time in a couple days. And I was like, oh, well, that's good. You know, at least it's <laughs> it doesn't feel productive, but it does feel fun. And if other people think it's fun, too, what the hell? I'm just going to keep doing it. And, you know, guys, this is something that I forget sometimes, but I shouldn't forget because... The truth is, I am like I am an entertainer more than I am anything else. Um, yes, I know that I teach anti diet stuff, and that has been my focus for the past eight years, and that has been the it's been the focus of the platform that has allowed it to grow because it's been a specific enough message that I felt really strongly about. But I'm not a healthcare professional. And as many times as I have considered what, you know, whether I should be actually going back to school and like specializing, the answer is no, because I don't want to, because I am an entertainer. Like, and that is what, that is where I find joy and, um, and, I don't know. I I don't know how to explain it, but like even my book like there are other books on anti-diet. I mean, anti-diet is one of them and it's an amazing book. And Christie's funny too. But my there's an absurdity that I can't help but enjoy that, you know, is in my book and is Tiny Head. Tiny Head on Instagram. So I've I've been doing it and I've been doing it and uh Enough people do DM me to be like, "You need to stop this." I despise this little head. Um, so I did a poll, and it looks like about uh, 25% of people do not like Tiny Head. 75% of people are obsessed with Tiny Head, and just a few people over the <laughs> this is so weird over the past couple days have have uh, messaged me to be like, "Okay." I said I didn't like Tiny Head, but I've decided that I do like Tiny Head. So anyway, this is is essentially just like an absurd coping mechanism. And it's this weird little... So now it's Tiny Head. So now Tiny Head mostly just sings songs. Um, and I'll keep it up for a little while. And we'll see. But it is fun. Um, so, that's, so that's one thing I've been doing. I've been trying to write my book. I've been doing Tiny Head concerts on Instagram. And I was sick for... For... Five days. And I don't know what it was. Of course, it genuinely could have been a very low-grade version of coronavirus. I have no idea. I assumed that it wasn't at the time because it was a fever, like a low-grade fever. And um, it started out with a low-grade fever and nausea, which is very unusual for me. But very like low-grade nausea where I was like, am I sick? Like, What's going on? And, um, and then it kind of moved into, into a headache and then it moved into PMS and then, so it was just very weird. Um, but I've seen people on Twitter saying, Hey, I had like basically no symptoms or I had like super low grade fever or just like a little headache and sniffles. And I tested positive for coronavirus. I saw it was somebody who were saying that their wife works in infectious disease and they were like, so I had to get tested to make sure that we weren't carriers and that she could go to work. And he tested positive and all he he was experiencing were like the most mild symptoms that weren't even necessarily coronavirus symptoms. So you never know. You really don't know. And I would love to know because if I could know that I had it and therefore have the antibodies – that would mean, and, and and I'm not testing positive anymore, that would mean that, you know, as many people who could know that as possible would be amazing because that means that they are not spreading it around and are not at risk of getting it. For the most part, I mean, of course there are, are always like exceptions to that rule of like people who get have relapses and stuff but for the most part if we could know who had antibodies that would be so helpful and if i could know that i had them then i would be so much less stressed that i was either going to infect myself or infect somebody else so i wish but really why i'm explaining this is i was sick and i um I shared, I had that little podcast, bonus podcast episode last week where I sort of talked about how I was being really hard on myself with productivity and I needed to really, really, really let myself off the hook. And I did. And part of that was deciding that I needed a whole new distraction because I, I really love Bravo, Bravo TV. I love The Real Housewives. I love Vanderpump Rules. And I was like, "Oh, this is great. I know what I'll do during quarantine. I will go back and I will watch the longest franchise of The Real Housewives of um Osh- uh sorry, what's wrong with me? The Real Housewives of Orange County. So, The Real Housewives of Orange County, OC. I never watched it before. It was the original one, and I started watching it. And it was just like, it take it was taking so long to get to the show that it eventually became because it was the first one. It was like back in 2006. It was weird. Like it it was a little bit slow and I was just over it. So I don't know what inspired me to do this, but I decided to start watching all of the Marvel movies that I haven't watched and... I have a friend who really... I have a friend who is a director and is actually working on a TV show right now, and he hates everything. Like, he is so critical of most movies, most shows. I will, like, send him... or I'll tell him to watch something that I really like. And I'm super critical, too, but he's even more critical. I'll want him to watch something, and he'll be like, I don't like it. And he loves Marvel. And so I was like, okay, well, I must be missing out on something if he likes Marvel. Um, and I'd seen some of them like out of order and I didn't really have a good scope. Like I didn't have a good understanding of, of really what it was. And I'd seen the first Avengers, like when I, when it came out, I saw it while I was babysitting. Um, like I put it on, it was, you know, on demand or something. And then, and then I watched Iron Man two years ago and, then I saw Black Panther. So that was my only scope. That was my only experience with it. Um, and I started watching, I don't know what, oh, I started watching Captain America. And because I wanted to start at the beginning and go through, but then I actually just started jumping and I will tell you why. It's because I'm now doing, I'm, I'm reverting to an old coping mechanism that really got me through <laughs> through um many times in my life and the old coping mechanism is deciding that I am absolutely obsessed with and in love with a either a fictional character or an actor celebrity and just letting it consume me, watching all of their movies, watching all of their TV shows, watching all of their um, interviews on YouTube, and just generally being like, wow, I am genuinely in love with this person. Even though at this point, I know that I've done it enough times that it's just like a thing I do, but it's basically, it's basically like an escapism coping mechanism. And it's really actually really funny to me. And I don't do it very often anymore. I think the time that I did, I do it in like smaller ways, but I, my most intense um, version of it was with Twilight, (laughs) with Twilight, which was during college, was with Twilight and it was with Robert Pattinson. I was absolutely obsessed with him. I thought about him all of the (laughs) time, all of the time. I watched his interviews over and over and that's where I really. Became obsessed with him because he's so funny and self-deprecating in the interviews. Uh, I was just, like, totally consumed. Like, it took over my mind for months, I would say. Months. Um, So now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I... And it's so funny because, like, I forget what it feels like when I'm, like, in a place where I'm not obsessed with a celebrity or actor but look I am completely obsessed with Sebastian Stan and he's not even one of the bigger characters but I already sort of was I saw I Tanya which I genuinely loved it's the movie about um, Tanya Harding and Margot Robbie's in it and she is so she's so good she's so so good in it And her, like, really asshole, abusive husband was played by Sebastian Stan. And I remember thinking during the movie, I remember being like, who is that? I He is so good, and he is weirdly hot. And I just – I was like, who is that guy? And so I, like – his name was in my head. And my friend – I think it was the same – I honestly think it was the same friend, director friend who um, loves Marvel, who saw Itani with me, who was like, oh, he – He's in um, the Avengers and Captain America, and he's really good. So it's just like pinged in my head. And now that I've watched all of these, I re- and I'm, I'm doing it. Like last night, I texted my friend. And I was like, well, I just watched a 20-minute compilation of um, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan doing the press junket. And he's just as funny as I thought he was. I'm like truly, like I intend. So I'm going to go through all the Avengers. I went through all the actual Avenger movies. And now I'm going back to the beginning. I just watched Captain Marvel. I'm going to watch the Hulk tonight. Very upset to learn that it's not Mark Ruffalo in the actual Hulk movie. I'm going to go through, watch all the ones that I didn't watch. Um, Over the last week, I watched the Captain Americas and the rest of the Avengers. Um. What am I, what am I really trying to say? Nothing important is happening right now. In case you're thinking you're going to get some nuggets of wisdom at the end of this episode, you're not. I'm only going to talk about Sebastian Stan pretty much. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Um, But I do have to say, I mean, he's a really good actor and he's really funny in interviews and that's really all I require. Um, who are some other people I've been obsessed with over my life okay so the first one the first the first person I've ever done this with was uh, Josh Hartnett when I was in eighth grade I saw Pearl Harbor was obsessed with him I would listen to the Pearl Harbor soundtrack over and over and over again the Faith Hill song in my dreams I'll always see you. Uh, right soar across the sky I mean I like was so obsessed I was so obsessed with Josh Hartnett and in my mind I was in a relationship with Josh Hartnett okay so that was the first time I'm trying to think if I did it again during high school I think I didn't I think I just lived in my Harry Potter bubble and like they were my friends for a really long time then in uh so you know just so you know I do ha- like I do have crushes on real people who actually exist but that's not as fun to talk about as my all-consuming celebrity crushes that are, like completely <laughs> completely um, fueled by me watching their interviews. And if they're funny, thumbs up. So Robert Pattinson, I think, was the next one. And it's very embarrassing to say that like, when I look back at all the people that I've been obsessed with, it's usually people who other people are obsessed with. I mean, Rob obsessed was a thing during twilight like people who were obsessed with Robert Pattinson were called robsessed and I was robsessed my aunt literally bought me a a Robert Pattinson calendar when I was like 22 it was ridiculous I mean I knew it was ridiculous I'm not actually like I'm not actually delusional like I know that it's not happening and I know that it's ridiculous but it's just so fun and there are no stakes like nothing bad can happen it's just fun until it fades um And yeah, I mean, I would really genuinely consider this a coping mechanism that one could call unhealthy, you know, if it really, if it like gets in the way of you living your life, it's unhealthy. If it's just fun, it's fine, you know, and it is something that the fact that I'm noticing it come up right now during the quarantine where everything feels out of control and I'm like, well, I could just focus on Sebastian Stan and it would maybe make a couple weeks until it fades away. Until I learned that he, oh, and it's it's more helpful to do it with people who are actually single because you can like come up with a with like a ridiculous, elaborate story that has you actually meeting, if you know what I mean, as opposed to someone who's like happily married, that's not fun. It's just not fun because there's there's too much heartbreak. <laughs> there's too much heartbreak in the fantasy of getting to a place where you guys are dating, you know. <sighs> I've wondered if this means that I should write fiction since I'm writing fiction all the time in my head and I don't know that I would actually be good at writing fiction that wasn't just me dating Robert Pattinson or Sebastian Stan. Okay, so who did I do it with next? Okay, the only thing that broke my Robert Pattinson obsession was my obsession with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, He's in 500 Days of Summer. What's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay, so that snapped me out of that. And then I'm trying to think of other ones over time in my 20s. Who did, who, what fictional characters did I love? Well, not fictional characters. I mean, celebrities. Um, I can't think of anyone, but I know, I know that the most recent one besides Sebastian Stan was Matthew Good which is so bizarre, but he's like, he's the one who, um, uh, what's, God, sorry. My brain is just like total mush right now, but the person that, uh, Lady Mary ends up marrying in, um, in Downton Abbey is Matthew Good, And what made me, oh, I know what made me obsessed with him. I, what I rarely do this I rarely just like have the tv on and watch whatever's on like I am not somebody who watches movies that are playing on tv but for some reason I turned on my television to try and find something I probably was going to watch a rerun of of Bravo and leap year a rom-com with Amy Adams was on and it was bad it was a bad movie and she wasn't even very good in it, and I think she's so good. But I I don't know. It was just, like, too stylized, like, too rom commy. But Matthew Good was in it, and he played this Irish bar owner, and he was so good, so charming. So I was like, wow, I love him. So I focused on him for, like, a couple months, watched everything he did, and then it just faded. <laughs> it faded. Anyway, I think all I really want to say is I'm not turning to any of my coping mechanisms that I used to have, like dieting, obsessing over my body, hating myself. But I am turning to my coping mechanism of completely becoming obsessed with um a stan, if you will. You know what a stan is? Like, oh, I stan, blah, blah, blah. And it stands for stalker fan, which is exactly what it is. Because last night when I was going through YouTube, just like looking at all of the compilations of you know whatever but I will say okay so his name is Sebastian Stan do you get it it's a pun I Sebastian Stan Stan but I uh probably will go watch Gossip Girl now because I never finished Gossip Girl and I'll probably go watch everything he's ever done and then and then it'll be like it never happened then it'll just disappear it'll just fade into the night and i'll be bored again for a little while and then maybe in a couple years i'll do it again with someone else so highly recommend it if you've never tried it before but i'm assuming if you've never tried it before you just don't have the kind of like delusion uh like i'm really good at living in a fantasy world in my head like it was a prime coping mechanism coping mechanism of mine in high school when I was dieting so dieting and like the fantasy of weight loss and like what that would be like was a big 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 distraction and coping mechanism for me but the but just like any other uh, fantasy living that's why I love stories so much um well I love stories because I feel like they teach us things about ourselves and being a human but I also just really love like to it, it's escapism it's absolutely escapism and I do think that it can be problematic and I do actually think that there may have been times in my life when it really was something that I that I kind of like used as a way to sort of avoid real life because real life was too overwhelming and I think sometimes that's okay and then if if it goes on too long or if, uh, you know, if it becomes something, you know, you you know when it goes too far when you're avoiding life, you know, to live in a fantasy world. um, But just as a fun coping mechanism, bring it on. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been... <sighs> I've been doing tiny head concert videos on Instagram, trying to write this second book. And I'm writing about this and that too because that was one of my coping mechanisms. I'm literally writing about how I would do this with stories in high school and beyond. And I really honestly don't do it that often anymore, which I think is a good sign. I think it means that I like my life and that I'm willing to live in my life and I don't need to add extreme fantasy on top of it to make it fun and to make it enjoyable, which I think is something that I used to do. Um, But hey, it's quarantine and I can't do anything. Uh, And so I may as well have an imaginary boyfriend who's also like a movie star and a really good actor and really funny, you know? I'm like half kidding but I but I genuinely like you know it's really weird actually because yesterday uh when I was doing a Q&A with Tiny Head okay one of the questions someone asked me was what is my celebrity crush this was like a week this was a week ago okay before I started watching the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe it was a week ago and I looked at that question and I was like I have no idea I have no idea I don't have a celebrity crush right now but it was weird to not know because I have gone through such intense phases of like completely being obsessed with different people as I have already explained and having like major celebrity crushes um so I didn't have anybody but just like two days later I would have been able to say oh Sebastian Stan I love him okay so there's that but it's also the thing of like I don't like I don't like people as often as other people like people. And I, I don't mean just like celebrity crushes. I mean like just regular crushes in general. I feel like I like people at a lower rate than other people. For whatever reason, it's very frustrating to me. I don't know what to do about it. I've tried to troubleshoot it. I literally am writing about this right now for my second book. Literally, that's what I wrote about this morning. Um, but <laughs> when I do, it's very extreme both with real people and also with celebrities. Um, but then it fades away like it never happened at all. So, you know, if, if okay, say somebody is listening to this in a couple months and they message me about Sebastian Stan, say they also love Sebastian Stan and they message me about Sebastian Stan, it's very possible that I'd be like, oh yeah, that was a phase. I really did love him, but I, I don't feel that way anymore because that's how I feel about Matthew good my friend and i call him matthew good even though we know that's not his name um cuz there's a there's an e at the end of the good um so i was about to say matthew good um uh uh yeah so even just like thinking about that like that was such a phase and i'm like eh, i don't really care anymore i like exhausted it <laughs> i like pr- i like went through it all um but in the meanwhile what i would like to say is uh I hope you're doing okay I hope that the conversation with Kirsten was helpful and enlightening and I will be back in a week or two depending on my uh overwhelm and ability to get out a bonus episode next week remember I promised every week during quarantine but then I realized that was asking too much of myself but then I did it anyway but now we'll see um also, so if you go to the fuckadiet.com slash resources, you can sign up for all of the free re- resources that are geared towards people who've already read the book. Um, so this is for you if you've read the book. If you haven't read the book, go to the fuckadiet.com or the fuckadiet.com slash free. You can read the beginning of the book for free. You can get free lessons. It's called free fun stuff on my website. But if you have read the book and you haven't signed up for the resources, go to thefuckadietcom slash resources. There's a resource list. There's a replay of an old workshop from last year. Um, There is a PDF download of all of the writing prompts from the book. And on April 17th, I'm going to be releasing a workshop to the people who've signed up for the resources on the five tools and answering some questions that were submitted by people who have read the book. So that's just a gift to people who've read the book and signed up for the resources. So if you would like to get in on that, go to thefuckitdiet.com slash resources and sign up. It's free. Okay, I will talk to you soon. And may we all, Sebastian Stan Stan. Goodbye.